Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glenholm Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, February 18th, 2024. Hey, everyone. I'm John Vanderveld, the lead pastor at Glenholm Bible Church. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin, the co-founder and executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady, senior pastor at Glenholm Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in today to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. What in the world do we have banter about when football is over <laughs> and we're in this still winter? Did y'all see the dunk contest? I didn't. Who won? Saw the highlights. Uh, uh, D League, a G League. It's called the G was, League. Did now. McClung win? Yeah. Yes. He won again? Uh-huh. Yes. Wow. He jumped over for the winning dunk. Shaquille O'Neal, who was holding a basketball over his head, on top of his head. Yes. So that would be like seven foot ten. What? And McClung, <laughs> he cleared it. And he's Shaq's only, McClung's only, only seven like... foot <laughs> Well, what's the diameter of a basketball? At any rate, <laughs> McClung clears it easily with room to spare. Mm-hmm. That dude. That's cool. That's funny. I was just, um, we're, we're going to go to uh, Florida in March. And I was just looking at like where where does he play and because I knew he played in the G in League, Orlando, right? yeah. but he plays in Orlando. And I was yeah. like, man, that'd be cool to go see a go see him play. Like, I don't think he's that great in the G League, but maybe I don't think so either. I think he was averaging somewhere. You should go in the to teams. a Magic game. The Magic's got some Magic. <laughs> they, Orlando no. Magic. I mean, right? They, I know you probably get tickets. Do yeah. any of y'all remember Muggsy Bogues? Oh, yeah. oh gosh, yeah. I had to look up Muggsy Bogues dunk highlights. Spud Webb and Spud Webb. Spud Webb five six. One the one. The one Maybe I'm thinking Spud Webb. That's who you're thinking. But Muggsy Bogues was short too. Yeah. Muggsy Bogues was really short too. Boy, we're old. Okay, there's yeah. been about forty dunk contest winners between those <laughs> two guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Satchel Paige. <laughs> How about Caitlin? What's Clark. her name? Clark. Clark. Yeah. I'm Broke the record, the record from the man. from the logo. Pistol Pete Maravich set his record, the outstanding record. She's about 100 points off of it in three years' time, with 80 no, games. With no three-point line. With no three. Yeah, that's insane. Those guys, there's there's some of those old players. Are, she's at 120 games, mm-hmm. about to break his record. It's craziness. Mm-hmm. I have an uncle who played. He played at KU. Uh, he played at Kansas. And he, he often tells me, like, they would have a three-point line. You know, like his stats would have been Way different. Yeah. Well, so basketball, basketball highlights. I know, right? Good job, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, we're going to switch it up a little bit since uh, Matt, you preached at uh, the Poplar up at uh, campus in Bartlett. And Bartlett. Uh, Bartlett. Yeah, we're on our way to change the name of that campus. Yeah, can we talk about that? Or is that need to be we edited can. out? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. They know about it. Well, it's no, not a surprise it, to no, them. It's awkward. <laughs> Well, it only makes sense. Yeah. Yep. So the Bartlett campus, we'll leave it at that. How yeah. That? Okay. We, uh, yeah. So Matt was up preaching in Bartlett. Kelly, you were preaching here. And uh, because that happened, I will be reading the questions today. Wow. Let, let me know how, what you think about it. Okay. I will. <laughs> Maybe we can chat afterwards. I we watched your sermon about... twice. You watched it twice? <laughs> No, you did. Yeah, I did. I watched. I gotta be. I gotta be ready for today. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bob, I watched communion. Once. That was fun. Yeah, did a great communion job. was good. Yeah. 
we he was get, like he came up and talked to me before service and was like hey how how is it going to end i was like yeah. i'm glad you brought that up cuz i wanted to talk to you it might be heavy it might be you know um here's it what it's, what we're going to say here's what how it's going to feel i think and he was like okay great yeah he did a good job all right any day now john I just want to make sure I'm uh, I'm going to do this correctly since Matt usually does this. Is there anything else we need to discuss? No. Any other friendly morning news no. we need to cover? No. All right, let's get to our questions then. Question number one: I've always thought of discipline as punitive. Is that not how we should think of the Lord's discipline? I don't think so. Um, just based on you know the. The face value of the plainest reading of scripture, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. So Jesus took our punishments. If we're if you're trusting in Christ, God has already placed the punishment that you deserve, we deserve because of our sin on Christ. For this reason, discipline should be can be viewed, should be viewed as corrective, transformative, but not punitive. Even in this week's passage, we read Hebrews 12, 6, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Uh, Endure hardship as discipline. God's treating you as his kids. That's verse 7. And then he says the goal is that we share in his holiness. And so, you know, these someone came up to me after well, both services and just was wrestling with this notion of punishment in fact, I got text messages throughout Sunday afternoon, which is great, and I welcome that. But people are wrestling with um, the, I guess, the clarity on the terms for discipline and punishment, and I get all that. What, wherever you land, the work of God in our lives is always restorative, redemptive. It's for our good. It's for his glory. So it's, it's never a lashing out. And I, you know, in my own parenting, I know there can be times when, you know, my anger gets the best at me and I would, um, not act, um, in, you know, the best frame of mind. Well, the good news is that never happens with our, our heavenly father. So it's always redemptive for our good. Yeah, one of, one of the things I love most about these verses is is the acknowledgement, and I talked a little bit about this up at uh, Bartlett, um, but the acknowledgement that our earthly fathers, parents, disciplined us as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. In other words, God the Father knows that the human experience involves a wide range of parents, some excellent and, quite frankly, some terrible. <laughs> some people had terrible parents, truly. And most likely, those parents had terrible parents. And um, they they tried, but each had their own thoughts as to what they thought was best. Unfortunately, some thought the best thing to do was maybe to leave. Some thought the best thing to do was to power up. And the good news is God will not forsake you. And every time he disciplines you through hardship and suffering, it will be for your ultimate good and will bring you closer into his holiness. I was, I was just wondering about, you know, the folks who didn't have good parents. They didn't have good examples. They didn't, when they were disciplined, it, it didn't go well. And I was wondering how they would receive this, mm -hmm. you know, uh, suffering and hardship viewed as discipline and that, that, that might not be a positive, that might, that might be a little triggering, I guess, mm -hmm. um, for, for some folks. And so I wanted to talk about that. It seems like to me in, in these verses that 
God kind of acknowledges that a little bit by saying, you know, um, they w- with what they thought was best, but God disciplines, you know, for our good, and it gives you the reason. And I remember being frustrated as a kid. It just felt like sometimes your parents would discipline you, and you wouldn't know why. You know, they wouldn't give you a, a, a really good reason. So, I mean, at least mine did, and I know many parents do, and it's healthy. I mean, my parents were just like, you know, you will do this because I said, and that was the end of it. And so I just wouldn't know. I just, you know, I'd be like, well, why? Like, okay. Um, so uh, these verses encourage me that, that we get the ultimate reason, and it's that God wants to share something with us. He wants to share his holiness. I think that's really beautiful. I think that's why this analogy can be hard for us, is a lot of what you said. None of us have experienced this type of discipline from a father that's mm-hmm. being described here. We've Every one of us and our own parenting can come into play here, where we've parented or received parenting out of an unpleasant motive, out of frustration or out of sin in and of ourselves, or our parents maybe trying to do the best that they could, but still... I mean, Kelly, to hear you say that you lashed out at your kids, it's like, yeah. really? You did? Because, hmm. you know, I see you as such a righteous and holy person or striving to be that. Yeah. So it, it just, it's a reiteration of, it's a hard analogy for a lot of us because none of us have experienced discipline from a father that was purely motivated in love every single mm. time. So that's why it's hard, some at least for me, to make the connection. I. I get it. I, I see the analogy, but it is still challenging at times because we've just never, other than God, our father, have we ever experienced discipline in this way? It's interesting. One of the worst case, worst cases of discipline in the new Testament. My point here is the church is actually to reflect the discipline of the Lord. We're to discipline one another. Um, and I often compare discipline to that, to an iceberg, Uh, 99% of discipline happens below the surface. We're unaware of it as we're um, being used by God to correct, encourage, and be a part of the transforming work that he's doing in each other's lives, right? So, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in the church of Corinth, there's an atrocious sin going on. It's the sin of incest. And uh, Paul writes to Corinth and gives them directions um, based on the character of God about how they're to handle it. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, when you're all assembled, and I'm with you in spirit, Paul's writing, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. This fascinates me. Discipline, even in this worst case, atrocious sin, has the objective of this man's restoration, um, redemption, salvation, even though uh, there is a corrective, a strong corrective element. They're putting him out of the church. They're handing him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, uh, this corrective element so that he'll be brought to repentance so that he may be saved. That, those, that's the exact quote, saved on the day of the Lord. So I, I find that encouraging. Mm-hmm. That um... good morning, ladies. <laughs> Hold on, TV is on. I thought she was behind me. <laughs> I literally thought she was standing right there. I was like, I was like, 
ladies. Hi. So we, we are, <laughs> since we are recording on Tuesday today, uh, we're back in, in my office, back here in the, uh, behind the stage, and uh, women's Bible study is going on right now, and the TV we have back here was on. So we just heard their welcome. <laughs> it was Good lovely. She did a great job. <laughs> lovely welcome. <laughs> Good job, Aaron. <laughs> It's it's interesting in the in the passage that um, I don't know yeah it's in the whole hardship and discipline it's in this context of struggling against sin you know there's a lot of things going on but what I found interesting is that discipline is actually something that makes us true sons and daughters mm-hmm. of God yeah. and um, mm-hmm. and again to the whole interplay between discipline and hardship that we face and like how that all plays out in the context of struggling against sin. I mean, I think there's probably multiple books that could be written on (laughs) how those all work together and what's at play. And then, you know, but just the simple idea of true sons and daughters are ones that, experience a level of discipline from God, uh, a shaping of our character in the struggle against sin, which I feel a level of like comfort in in that, you know? Um, I remember, you know, when when your kids are, are little, I remember people saying things like, well, they need boundaries. That's where they feel actually cared for and loved. If you just the the loving thing is not to say, yeah, do whatever you want, eat whatever you want, have whatever you want, watch as much screen time as you want, do whatever you want. Like that actually a child doesn't actually feel loved in that. They they feel uh a lack of of care and support and love. And just the idea that God would give us direction through struggle and discipline. Um we should take it as this idea that, you know, we are, he really truly views us as his sons and and daughters, wants us to experience the joy, puts the boundaries and the parameters and the struggles to, to shape our character, um, in our lives. So, I, I mean, it was, it was a heavy, it's a heavy topic. You know, I spend a lot of you know, time I listened to Matt, your yours, obviously Kelly, I was here and got to listen to you, you know, I'm like thinking through all the hardships in the room. Yeah. You know, and you're like, oh man, some of these are things that people, you know, have no there's no reason that they should be struggling with the, you know, being victimized and abused or you know, just these horrible things that we think about, right? And how um how we handle those those heavy things and the topic of suffering and the problem of evil and um, you raised those those things on Sunday. Um, I did in second. I and, didn't in first. But. Yeah, but just just the simple, you know, how we map all that out in our mind. <laughs> if we can just know that we aren't, we aren't alone, God isn't leaving us alone, and that um, and that he he sees us as true sons and daughters and love is loving us through whatever it is. Um, I feel like there's a piece of encouragement in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And that it'll be worked out for good. Yeah. Even though it, we, we're not going to know how that's going to be yeah. in a lot of cases. Right. Right? Like, there's, I think there's some suffering that I can go, yeah, I can see how this is going to produce this. But there's some suffering, like what you're talking about, where it's just like, I don't, I don't know how that's going to work out. Yeah. For your good, I don't know. I know that it will, because that's God's promise. I believe it's true. Yeah. But I cannot sit down with you and and give you a further encouragement beyond that. Like, hey, just wait, because X, Y, Z is going to happen. Because some folks are just, man, they're just in it. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. and it's rough. There's another line that was interesting to me is, um, for we all had few in- human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. Mm-hmm. And I like immediately started thinking of the times where like, I can ref- like think back on discipline that I received that I was like, this is what is happening <laughs> from my dad or my mom or whatever. And then now, you know, however many years later, you look back and you're like, they they probably didn't enjoy that process with me. They could have av- avoided that process with me if they really wanted to. They could have pretended that it didn't do something so that they wouldn't have to have the the awkward conversation and get my emotional response and ah, they could have just let it go. But so many times that they had jumped in because they cared for me and loved loved me. And now I look back at it and think, have some respect for them for what they had done. And my father had that I can remember no verbal directions for me ever. He never offered me a, that I can remember. Like like guidance? Right. Yeah. And um, I remember him spanking me as a child once, um, but it was, I think that was the extent of it one time. Can't remember what it was for. And the notion of respect, it, I, you know, um, I, I missed that. So I missed that. Uh, in, I had respect yeah. for him in other areas. Um, he was impressive uh, as a worker, and and had great success in that area. But I totally get that. There, it's a blessing to be cared for by parents, and then to understand that that's the same thing is going on with our heavenly Father, and it should be comforting. And it should provoke some respect instead of resentment. And I totally get it. You know, as teenagers, we resent the discipline often that we received. Um, but later on, we can look back and say, wow, they were putting in the effort. They mm-hmm. were trying hard. Yeah. Once you have your own mm-hmm. children, you realize, you know, yeah. that moment of, oh, okay. I need to go say sorry for a bunch of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, need to go, I need to go be thankful yeah. for a bunch of stuff. <laughs> All right, next question. Uh, sorry, I f- forgot my role. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> it was quick. <laughs> you got one question. <laughs> it's harder than it I'm looks, not. A, isn't I'm it? not a strong performer. <laughs> I'm getting, uh, if hardship is to train us, producing a harvest of righteousness and peace, how do we pray about our suffering? That's a great question. It's great. Yeah. I could only come up with two examples. I think they're fairly strong examples. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus and Paul. <laughs> so both Jesus and Paul prayed that suffering would go away. And when it didn't, they, they said, okay. 
So Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, take this cup of suffering away from me. And, and when, it, when it was clear that it was the God, the Father's will that the Son go through crucifixion, he said, not my will, but yours be done. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 prays three times that a thorn, some sort of trouble, and we don't know what it was, this trouble be taken away from him. And and then he heard it's it's not going to be taken away. It's been given to humble you. And that's what suffering does, by the way. It it communicates our powerlessness. It humbles us. And um, but he hears from God, my grace is sufficient for you. And so I think it is fine to pray that a particular area of suffering be taken away. Has to be. Yeah. Um, and many times, I hope that we all have had the experience where we pray about it, and it is taken away. It passes, or if it's a spiritual attack, um, it, it, it uh, relents, uh, or we're healed, or whatever goes on. But if it doesn't, then I would say begin to pray that we'd see the evident grace of God in our lives, the grace that is sufficient to carry us through the suffering and care for us in the suffering. Yeah, I talked about that. I spent some time on that. And also talked about what Jesus said to, this, to the disciples um, when he just said, my soul is grieved to the point of death. Like, he was... That's low. Yeah. And so I just used it as an, to encourage, hopefully, to encourage people. Um, like, and I'm, and I'm not suggesting that Jesus didn't do it perfectly. He was sinless. But you don't have to be perfect in your dealing with suffering. Like, mm-hmm. your first response... I thought that was a good word of yours. Your, your first response doesn't have to be, Father, your will, not mine. You know, I mean, it's okay to be upset. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be frustrated. Uh, I know I, I have I have emotions that I go through when, when chronic suffering comes back around and you kind of think that you've gotten over the hump and then it comes back and you, you know, first I get mad and then I get sad and then I get despondent and then I kind of go through these things and then I ultimately end up you know being able to praise God and your will not but it's a process and that's okay God can handle all of that I just keep thinking about how sometimes we want God like if you think of suffering as being kind of in this dark space this like you know you're just feeling alone and it's heavy and it's dark and you want God so badly to take you out of it. Um, sometimes I feel like he answers the prayer by entering in it with us mm-hmm. as opposed to removing us from it. And I've, I mean, I, I can't imagine not praying that God would take us out of it. I don't, and to your point, like, I feel like that's okay to pray, but if that isn't removed, if we're not out of that space and that hardship, or maybe it's a very physical suffering, mm. um, to ask God to come join you in it. And and sometimes he answers that. I, I have such a specific example in my mind of a, a good friend who's just recently expressing feeling very alone and overwhelmed in life right now for a lot of valid reasons. And she's, you know, married and has a number of children and, and, and it's just a, she's just in a hard place right now. And it felt like when she shared some of these very, you know, raw and personal things, she was okay with being where she, I mean, she, she wants it to go away. She wants her faith to be encouraged again. She wants to come out of it. But when she was sharing really what she was sensing and saying to us when so many words was just join me in it because 
right now it's not, there's no end in sight, even though she knows that God is faithful and she knows Hmm. that there is hope. I, I was just really kind of moved by that idea of, yes, ask for the cup to be removed. Jesus praised that. But also while you're in it, you know, to ask God to join you in that and so that you're not feeling alone and that and to bring community into that place with you so that other people aren't there to fix it, but just share the load, carry the burden mm-hmm. alongside of you while you're in it versus, you know, dodging it or trying to get away from it. Or I don't know. Does that make any yeah. sense? Mm-hmm. Just a very, very real example of this it happened in, in my life just recently. And I just thought she, she's recognizing it's not going to go away anytime soon. So my role in that, I can't fix this. This is very internal for her. This is, there's nothing tangible I can do for her other than just say, I'm okay. I'll just sit in this pain with you. I don't know. I'll just be next to you. Mm-hmm. And um, hoping that that God would use that to comfort her. I think of times where, um, you know, you, you're enduring something, going through something, and, and, and I don't know if this is, this is just descriptive, this is just my experience, where I've often had the cry out, fix it, fix it, fix it, God, or even like, um, God, do you know? Mm. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on. Almost like, do you know what, what, what we're going through here, or what I'm going through, or what what the situation like? Almost having to express it mm-hmm. to so that it feels like he know, which he doesn't need me to express it. He does know, but there's some kind of connection there that happens yeah. when you express it fully of how you feel in it and what actually is going on, and then you know this crying out of like remove this heal this or get through this or whatever. And and then there's been times even in that where I don't know what it is, but it's something will will change where you realize, no, this is, I, it's not going to be removed in the way that I had hoped or thought or asked for. And so now I om- you almost have a, an emotional and, and somewhat spiritual mindset shift where your prayers turn into, God, I want to see you working through this. Mm -hmm. God, help me not to miss the lesson that you're actually teaching me through all this. And you're still holding out hope, Mm -hmm. but you, that it will be removed or reconciled or changed or whatever, but you're, you're realizing, oh, this is a long haul issue Mm -hmm. here, um, that, that we're going to go through. And or I'm going to go through or what, whatever that this scenario will, will be, and so I think it's a little bit. I mean, I think Kelly, you talked about it. Just the idea of like, nope, the the cup's not going to be taken from you. Nope, Paul, you, you you're going to have that thorn, and then this just a different kind of prayer life mm-hmm. around it. Um, again, that's just my. I, I don't. I can't point to one thing that says you know. Endure it for six months, the Lord's discipline. Cry out to him to remove it. After six step months, one, change two. your prayers to be this. I can't, but I just have felt that in, in a few a few things, whether it's a health thing or just a you know, life process thing or hardship with a child or or whatever it might be. Jesus you know. said, uh, I can only do what I see my father doing. <laughs> And it reminds me of what you're describing, or what you're describing reminds me of Jesus' words, because 
I do think in suffering, one of the questions we need to ask is, what are you doing in this? What, what are you up to? Why are you allowing this suffering, this pain? And then as you prayed, help me not to miss what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I vacillate between that one and, okay, there's definitely got to be no more lesson left, God. Mm. Like, <laughs> I've learned it all. Okay. We're in the appendix now. We, <laughs> we've gone through the textbook. We're good. We're good. And just one lesson at a time too, please. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. six. Right. Yeah. You're up, John. Thank you. <laughs> I was just about to say it. It's question three. How can we tell if we are being trained by suffering rather than simply enduring it and hoping it will end soon? Well, we kind of just talked about this, but... Yeah, the author says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. So... I would say the best way to know if you're actually being trained by what you're enduring, if it's having the good transformative work that training and is supposed to have, is just to look for the outcomes of righteousness and peace. Are you increasing in peace? Are you increasing in obedience, righteousness, um, moral perfection? Is the character of Christ increasingly a part of your life, the the love and the joy and the peace and the patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. Is the fruit of the Spirit being born in increasing measure in your life, which is really hard at some junctures in the suffering process because you can be really low and really pressed. And Yeah. Sometimes in the suffering process, you don't see those things until much later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried to boil it down to while you're in it, are you being drawn closer to God or not as sort of an evidence that you're being trained by it? Um, Because if if we know why it's so he, because he wants to share in his holiness, then that means you are going to be more near to God. So I wish I would have found this Psalm before uh, the sermon, but Psalm 73, 21 and 28, um, uh, is 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 great. It's it says when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. So, for me, that's a good litmus. Like. You know, are you being drawn closer to God in this suffering? And again, you're not going to do it perfectly. I'm not going to do it perfectly. I, I may have s- little mini seasons of God. God, just we're done for right now. I need to go be by myself. Like you know, like all that happens. But uh, overall, through your suffering, um, is your dependence God? Are you being drawn near to Him? I think that's those are good markers to look out for. Agreed. And I would say there are some some directives in scripture about the activities of believing people, even in suffering. So am I getting to church? I mean, that's a training activity. Am I in his word? That's a training activity. Am I memorizing his word? Am I singing loudly? We're told to sing to each other. Am I praying? Am I praying with others? Am I praying alone? These are all training activities and suffering 
disrupts our lives and can disrupt those activities and we miss out on the training opportunity. A lot of people, unfortunately, when suffering enters, it so disrupts their lives that the activities that are needed to cult, uh, that are used by the spirit to develop righteousness and peace, they, we fall away from those activities. So it's of the utmost importance that we develop those activities in the good season so that we can endure in those, through those activities or by those activities in the bad seasons. Do you think part of this um, is a need to define like suffering in our mm-hmm. like? <laughs> I would no. I was thinking that when Matt was talking, it was like, depends on what we're talking about. Yes, you know, right, like, are we right, 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 right. A phys- like a disease, something that's like physically yeah. Job or... loss is a, is a different right. suffering <laughs> right. than chronic illness, right? Or a yeah. death of someone we love. I mean, there's. Or this you is know, a very broad, mental health issues, yeah, yeah. or a flat tire on your way to right, right. you know, mm-hmm. uh, basketball practice. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for a sixteen-year-old kid, that could be inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I wonder. I don't know. I don't have any. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I wonder about the. Um, I think it's Viktor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning. It talks about the the size of suffering. The the I think I'm I'm sh- shooting off the hip of something I read a long time ago. But the magnitude or the weight of the suffering and like how mm-hmm. what what we need to our behavior should be some, somewhat relative to the to the type. Like some perspective, yeah, too, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the word yeah. I'm looking for. I, yeah. I listened to a podcast this morning on a woman who is literally in the Gaza, like northern Gaza right now, like homeless, lost everything, hmm. you know, living with her sister who's about to have a baby. There's no hospitals. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, put the put your opinions and right. you know whatever about the war aside. You're this is that was real, and right. I thought, oh gosh, like. I'm doing okay. I'm not yeah. living in a war zone. So right. yeah, do well, your, your perspective, I think. Well, I think, yeah. and there's, you know, it can go both ways too, right? Where we under, we, uh, we undervalue what we might be going through mm. because we see it in perspective, in, in perspective. Mm-hmm. But then I also think it's really healthy mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. to have a yeah. bit of, of, of perspective, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we can kind of, it's just interesting to think about even, you know, the global stuff that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we can sit around and, you know, get in our small group or whatever and talk about how hard life is. And then you, you, you listen to a podcast or you, you travel somewhere outside of, and you see it and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to talk about the fact that, you know, my house is set at 71 and I really Mm -hmm. want it set at 72. It's like, come on, Mm -hmm. you're not suffering. What's funny that the writer of Hebrews addresses that right before this passage. And when he, he lists all of the heroes of the faith for Israel and and then talks about what they endured. He he mentions being sawed in two, yeah. You know, right. living in caves, and and says none of them abandoned the faith. And then he says, by, basically, but by the way, you haven't suffered to the point of bleeding yet, right? Like, like in other words, like have some perspective here. Yeah, you may it may right. happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So like, <laughs> it's interesting that that's in there, right? You know, we, we talked, Kelly and I talked last week about the scope of this suffering, 
and what the scope was going to be because it's important for for that sermon like how you know what are you labeling suffering and he he pointed out something that was really helpful that that the writer does attribute even the the suffering um that he's talking about with the discipline is persecution it is physical persecute persecution type of suffering but then he also attributes it to sin in general right and so because of that it kind of opens the door to talk about Sin is the root cause of all suffering. Yeah. Right. Like, and so that kind of made it a, a bigger scope, which was helpful because mm-hmm. it, it is hard, and especially out here, to talk about persecution type of suffering. Right. right. You know, right. And physical, like a physical because of sin, not just, you know, the natural decay of our bodies or health issues or things like that, but actual... Actual physical, physical bodily stuff. That's what he's right. talking about right. in the verses leading up to it, for sure. Right. And so, yeah, that's hard in our context to talk about. I don't even yeah. know that it... You know, obviously in other countries it's happening. Right. This moves us to question four. <laughs> what parts of comfort and convenience are okay? <laughs> that's a big... This is a hard pivot. You often talk about the dangers of living in suburbia, but doesn't every socio-geographic reality have particular and unique spiritual perils? I'd never heard socio-geographic, but it makes sense. Urban perils and suburban perils, spiritually speaking, and rural are very different. I've got a buddy who wrote a book titled Death by Suburb. And uh, he traces in the book, he lives in Wheaton, he traces in the book the unique spiritual perils of being in suburbia and how it uh, can lull us to sleep spiritually and, um, and do us harm. Um, and he talks a lot about um, the, the idols of suburbia would be how we talk about it biblically, but uh, money and um, our, our need for... Uh, our proximal convenience, that is space we're demanding and the fences of suburbia. And he does a really good job um, just talking about the perils. So I do think that there are unique um, socio-geographic realities. And um, and I, I don't have an easy answer here. As y'all noted, it's a really broad. To ask about what comfort and what conveniences are okay is an interesting corollary to how do I handle suffering. Um, I think my, my, my sole answer would be um, embrace the rhythms of discomfort and inconvenience to help battle the realities of suburban peril. So we're in the season of Lent. Lent is a season of repentance that is aimed at getting us ready for celebrating the resurrection. And so for the last 1,500 years, the church has spent those 40 days leading up to Easter fasting. Well, suburban reality is really consumptive. It's about, where am I going to dinner tonight? What additions am I putting on my house? It's consumptive. It's aimed at uh, spending, acquiring, and, um, and comforting the flesh in many respects. So I do think Christians in suburbia need rhythms of discomfort and inconvenience to make sure we're not lulled to sleep spiritually. And the call to go without food will get at those issues really quickly. Hmm. Have you all read Death by Suburb? No, but I'm I'm curious to know more what you mean, because 
when you say we need to be in a rhythm of being uncomfortable what discomfort is, and inconvenience yeah. so but food doesn't that would food doesn't I don't love food enough for that to oh I do yeah so <laughs> so I'm, my my question is like is it by preference because yeah you two are on opposite yeah. right? I know you both well yeah. Yeah. you're on opposite ends yeah. of this food yeah. spectrum I really right. I could, if I could just take a pill every day and it would be, I'd be fine get your yeah. Kelly's like yeah. rolling over dying right. a pill I don't I'm, get to eat I'm hangry right now <laughs> And had a huge breakfast, so uh, yeah, I was. I think you know part of the. I think we we always want to like draw lines and categorize like that's too much comfort, mm-hmm. that's too much convenience, mm-hmm. that's too much, you know. And I think I mean there's a couple a few things to say about that. Well, one is if you feel like you need to pull back, draw lines, categorize. Well, maybe mm-hmm. maybe something's gone a little yeah. awry, um, and and that that'd be good work. Have you battled sin to the point of bleeding yet? Because if you're battling sin, is what he's talking, this is what the passage is about. Are we fighting the good fight? Well, then that doesn't mean that we're not going to enjoy any comforts or any conveniences in life. But I think we can easily get out of whack. Like our natural, fleshly, uh, pursuit is convenience and comfort. That's what we, you know, we we look for. We are drawn to, and the life of following Christ is saying, "Well, battle against some of that. Battle against it, um, so that it doesn't consume you, take over you, and that's what you pursue, rather than pursuing putting sin to death and following me." So, I don't know if that gives a, a great. A great answer. Um, I'm, I'm hearing you say that it could be different for mm-hmm. Simone, and totally for me. Yeah, and we need to be talking to the Lord about what perils are my soul facing, and how do I put to death Colossians yeah. three, whatever belongs to the earthly nature. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I can flip it a little bit too. So, when we lived in the city, it, the church we were at was very city centric. Like, if you were on staff there, you had to live in the city. Just you know, and those, and there were a lot of us, um, those who left for the suburbs were kind of like looked down upon a little bit. And I know that's true because that's how I felt when we lived in the city and we had friends that would move out here. And we'd be like, <laughs> we'd be like, you know, we just, we talk about it. We'd sell like, out. Oh my, totally. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, just pursuing that life of comfort, man. I'm staying right here in the city where it's hard and I'm on mission and you can't be on mission out there. And so what we were doing was we were making, the, we were we were martyrs of martyrs of, of martyrdom. Like we were making living in the city an idol, yeah. hmm. you know. And then granted, yes, living in the city in many respects is much more difficult out here, and it is easier to feel like you're on mission in the city than it is out here. That's true, at least for me, that's true. But we were elevating just living in the city as like this is the only way to do it, kind of thing. It was it was our, our idol um, for for me and for a lot of people and. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> like that. Just like out here, comfort can be an idol. Living in the city, uncomfort, un- uncomfortableness can be an idol as well. Mm-hmm. Like that. This is what I, I want to say. <laughs> this is say what you want. To say. <laughs> this is what I want to say. Only say what you want to say. Okay. The so John, when you were talking, and then Kelly, you touched on it too. 
the heart, I think, of, of what we're getting at is that, you know, to, to follow Jesus means to deny yourself, mm-hmm. right? But not for the sake of denying yourself, which I keep, I think this is like a confusing message to mm-hmm. our younger people, like teenagers in particular, because, um, and we talked about this not that long ago, but just this idea of um, you're not denying yourself for the sake of being, you know, trying to be better than everybody else, or you're also not denying yourself because, um, shoot, this isn't going to come out right. I'm, I'm trying to say that the world sees that we as Christians say we deny ourselves and then we're like not valuing who God has made us to be. Right. Do you, you see what I'm saying? Like a, a non-believer would say, well, if you're, you're telling kids that not to, to deny themselves, then, and if we're called to feel that way and to pursue that, then we're not honoring who we are and our uniquenesses. And I, I'm struggling still to, to figure out how to live in between both of those worlds by believing in my, like believing that God has gifted me in certain ways and to live that out and to live in that freedom of that, but also deny myself of things that like that bring me well, that distract me from following Jesus. Do you see what I'm trying to say? I do. So I draw a distinction between character and personality mm-hmm. in this discussion. Mm-hmm. So deny mm-hmm. whatever belongs to the flesh, Colossians 3, and celebrate how God uniquely wired you and made you. And it can be hard to distinguish, and I think it takes a lifetime. Mm-hmm. To eat, it, it takes real work to know what to put to death and what God is blessing. Mm-hmm. So uh, yes, when, when we say be like Jesus, mm-hmm. we don't mean necessarily in personality. Yeah, God's not making me into a little, a little Jesus mm-hmm. with regard to personality. I'm kind of an extroverted, loud, aggressive person. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Jesus was extroverted or introverted, task-oriented or people-oriented, a messy. Was his bedroom messy or was he a neatnik? I don't know. These are personality traits and they're morally neutral. Mm. So Kierkegaard said, "By now, now by God's grace, I'll become fully me. So there's something about Kelly-ness and Simone-ness that the Lord wants to bless mm-hmm. and has created to bring him glory. That's personality. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot in Kelly that is broken with regard to character. I, I'm selfish. I can be self-centered, um, whatever my sins of choice are. Mm-hmm. So putting, is that helpful? It is helpful. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing it more in the vein of people who are like, quote unquote, destructing their faith and their testimony now that they're on the other side of, well, now I'm, I'm no longer an evangelical or I don't claim to be a Christian anymore. They're saying this because, well, I was always told to be, to not be who I am. Right. And I, I was, I grew up in a church where the message constantly was to deny yourself and, you know, don't honor who God has made you yeah. to be. And so then there was a disconnect for them of, mm-hmm. well, this is who I am. And the church is telling me I can't be this way. Um, so I hear that and I'm like, that's, that can be a, a message that is super confusing. I mean, I can't even articulate it. And I've been walking with Jesus for you know 20 years. So I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of like a teenager who's trying to figure out who they are mm-hmm. while also seeing what, you know, hearing the message on Sunday that is... is this is at the heart yeah. of the LGBTQ debate, identity. It's, it's the, well, I was made this way. Mm-hmm. 
this is who I fully am. Mm-hmm. This is who I am. So I need to be fully me. Mm-hmm. And if we define ourselves primarily, primarily mm-hmm. as sexual beings in our sexual appetites and expression are who we are primarily, it'll lead us astray really quickly because mm-hmm. we'll give we'll give license to sexual mm-hmm. immorality. Uh, sexuality is a part of who we are. It's not the primary right. defining element. Yeah, it crosses a lot of issues. It That's does. obviously one of them, but it it does regardless of sexuality is a part of the conversation or not, it crosses a lot of issues. And I just know that there's confusion around it because adults who we've talked about in the past on this podcast, who are, were believers at one point or said they were, have deconstructed their faith because they felt like, well, I couldn't be who I fully am. It goes back to, I think, what we talked about in the past about being made in the image of God and mm-hmm. being able to distinguish the differences that you just said, which was very helpful. Like, Personality versus character. I like that. So the the personality inventories like Myers Briggs, mm-hmm. PF sixteen, Strengths Finder, Disc. Enneagram. I think those Enneagram. I think those help us uh, gain some insight about how we're uniquely wired. And again, our wiring is morally neutral. Yeah. I came out of my mother's womb, kind of loud and extroverted and <laughs> aggressive, and. <laughs> Now, when my character is not under the control of Christ, that becomes yeah. dominant and rude mm-hmm. and mean. And and so mm-hmm. he wants to change my character, and he wants my personality to flourish. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. anything that is an idol that takes the place of Christ, I think, too, is helpful to say that is something I need to deny myself of because I'm worshiping something other than It's Jesus. true. I do think a lot of Christians grow up in the church thinking, well, I need to put to death my personality. Yeah. That's not helpful. Right. It's really true. Especially, I mean, I hope the church is getting better at it now, but, you know, there was an era, you know, with the fundamentalist kind of roots and things like that where it was like, I mean, I can, I can remember you know, messages or curriculums or things like that, where it was like, this is what a Christian was like. This is how you should talk, look, whatever. And this is what they aren't. And it was like, I don't want anything to do with that. My personality doesn't fit any of that. Mm -hmm. Or my friends don't Mm -hmm. fit any of that. Or um, it was, you know, it was like um, Jesus wasn't there to make followers and disciples, he was there to make, you know, mm-hmm. good behaving people who talked and looked, ju- you mm-hmm. know, just like a certain way. They blurred the line of uh, preference right. issues right. and made them character issues. Mm-hmm. With Mike, with all my children, Micah in particular, my middleborn, um, she came out um, shy. She doesn't demand the social spotlight. I step into the middle of a room. She hangs out on the edges of a room. Um, and so we said, Micah, you're wired, you're shy. That's, that's personality. You cannot be timid. That's character Hmm. and work with her on timidity issues. Hmm. Um, and we used to tell Eli, you can be shy, but you can't be rude. Because he, would, he was so shy yeah, when he right. was younger, he would come across as rude. Like he rude. had a hard time looking people in the eye. He didn't want to talk to new people. Mm. He just that's for me. I would describe that as tim- timid. Right, and it right. can't. That's how it can come it. off yeah. as aloof. Yeah, yeah, just rude. I was like, you can't be rude. Yeah. You you can be shy. Yeah, I, John, what you were saying too made me think. Like, if we're not careful, we really teach our kids 
especially when they're little, lots of rules. Oh, yeah. You can do this. You can't do this. I mean, Liv is in first grade right now, and she's memorizing the Ten Commandments. And I'm like, which is important. I'm all for it. But I'm like, where's the love? Yeah. Like, we got we to gotta teach her the two commandments of the New Testament, too. Yeah, like, where's right. the love in this? Because she's going to grow up, if we're not careful, and it falls to us, too. But like, with rigidity, and mm-hmm. if you don't look and follow the rules in a certain way, then you're not... A well, it's, follower. Yeah. And it's interesting too, is that there's not like a, <laughs> uh, a universal understanding sometimes between character and personality. So someone who may be more introverted and um, more quiet and feels loved and comforted in that type of environment sees somebody like the way you've described yourself, Kelly, which I'm only doing because you've described right. yourself yeah, this way, like, as angry, um, like dominant, bullying, arrogant, arrogant, and 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 that's just because their personality experiences your personality very differently. You might interpret them as being uh, timid, Afa- afraid, uh, yeah, weak, right. uh, yeah, not faithful. Not not filled with faith, right? Not um, taking the necessary risks, exactly. Right, and so those are those are personality. That's a brilliant thing. But, but what often happens is this person describes you as mean, bullying, dis- and thinks of you and describes you maybe even to others as a almost like a as a sinful person whose character's out of whack, and you would do the the same. Yeah. And because of your lens, because the lens right. that we we see things, and and I, we've talked about this before, but I, I think that some of that is just, it's like getting out of hand right now culturally, mm-hmm. where we're dealing with these personality traits and seeing personality traits rather than really focusing on character and talking to each other, thinking the best of one another, mm-hmm. because we know their character. We experience, you know, we're we're all. I'm gonna be careful. <laughs> there's a there's sometimes I experience <laughs> oversensitivity on both mm-hmm. where we're interpreting everybody's behavior, how it makes me feel individually, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's always the most healthy thing yeah. to do. Well, I didn't feel good when they said it that way. And so now, so it discredited, yes. yeah. characters right. of flaw, mm-hmm. they're bad, yeah. and so I'm, they're over here. Mm-hmm. But this person made me feel good mm-hmm. because they said it this way. It's interesting. And that's ugh, it's that's interesting. a slippery slope. It is such a slippery mm-hmm. slope, and I want to be careful because it does. Our feelings do matter, and mm-hmm. there are things that get that do get out of whack and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But sometimes we wind up just gravitating to people's personalities mm-hmm. when their character can't even support. Yeah. Th- their personality. This is a pet peeve. It's so dangerous. I mean, it's some of a lot of what we're reading a little bit of the dark side of of leadership, but it's interesting you bring that up because uh, it's not only that individuals have personalities, families have personalities Mm -hmm. and uh, families can have uh, character traits. It's family systems is the Mm -hmm. psychological notion. They can encourage certain character Mm -hmm. and discourage uh, certain character traits. And so in churches, have personalities. Totally. So, you know, uh, the 
the churches in town reflect the congregations that are there and the experiences they have had for better or for worse. Churches have strengths, churches have weaknesses, and um, and they're being uh, they're growing entities, organisms. Mm-hmm. I, I think of the just our kids even. And then they get a little bit older and you start to know their personalities or learn their personalities. And you see, I mean, we have five, there's five unique personalities and there's some overlap because of just who they are. And there's some personality things that overlap, but I can think of multiple times where Carrie and I have had to help each other and check each other, which is such a beautiful thing about parenting together, where I'm like, that needs to be fixed. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> and, and, and that's going to K- stop right now. Carrie will say, that's just who they are. Mm. That's just their personality. And I'm like, you know, you're right. They just, and they, I would have done it differently or thought about it differently or said it differently, yeah. but I got to let them be who they are. I know their character. They're, and it's not perfect, but they're growing in their character and their character is solid. And or the other way around, you know, Carrie's they can't keep doing that. They can't keep saying it like that or whatever. And it's like, no, that's just it's just who they are. It's just their personality. And and that journey of of learning people's personalities and Yeah. Or you know, you may you may say the the exact same words in the exact same way with the exact same tone to one kid and oh, do the exact gosh. same to the other. Yeah. And the one kid might just be like, whatever. And the other kid might be like, Dad just yelled at me. Yeah. You know, you know right. what I mean? Like Right. Yeah. Did we, do you think we answered the question? <laughs> I can't remember. We had a lot of things to say. Um, the question was, yeah, I mean, the difference between comfort and convenience mm-hmm. took us in a whole another. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, you did great. But just the, I think, I think yes, I think certain personality types have different, um, you know, things perils. that perils. Yeah, and I, certainly there's different perils geographically. Um, I mean, I think there's some that span, I mean, anthropologists and people and sociologists will, you know, do the work to, to see, oh, what are the things that span all cultures, you know, um, sexuality for existence for, for, as an example, um, things like that, that that's a peril (laughs) here or there, you know, wherever you are. And they surface differently. Yes. But, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him, and our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the next level. Boom! Prophecy.